0: So, again, we are speaking with Dave Foreman, who is the uh, founder of the Rewilding Institute, also founder of Earth First, um, someone that I met when I was involved with Earth First way back in the day, and now um, the author, along with Laura Carroll of Manswarm, How Overpopulation is Killing the Wild World. So tell us how you started to write this and, um, and how you decided to do a revised edition.
1: Well... Back uh, about 1972, I went back to college to get a graduate degree in biology. And one course I took, conservation, had as a textbook uh, Population, Resources, Environment by Paul and Anne Ehrlich. And that's just an example of how 45 years ago, overpopulation was widely seen uh, among conservationists and other people as a leading problem. Martin Luther King spoke out against it, calling for uh, birth control information to be made available. Uh, President Dwight Eisenhower in the middle of the Vietnam War 1968 said it was the most important problem facing the world. And so there was this widespread feeling that uh, overpopulation was a problem. And that's the kind of conservation movement and social movement I came into. And then since the mid-'80s, it seems like population has been a verboten subject And so when I wrote the initial uh, edition of Man Swarm, I wrote it for the conservation movement. Um, And it was a little more technical because I wanted to convince conservationists, people in the Sierra Club and the Wilderness Society and local conservation groups, that overpopulation was still a problem. In fact, it was a much worse problem than it had been in the 1970s. And then Laura Carroll, who is um, a writer in San Francisco, who's written books on the pleasures of a no-child family, uh, contacted me. She liked the book so much, but she wanted to try to make it more accessible to the millennial generation and folks who who might not be uh, primarily conservationists. And so that's how this uh second edition came about. We sort of joke and call it the Daughter of man Swarm
0: well, and I have to say it's definitely not an inaccessible book it's it's highly accessible the way that it's it's written and um the way and it's it's not a a huge text that will take you uh, days and days to get through
1: yeah no uh Laura did a terrific job. she kept my language uh. You know, my points and everything, but just uh, sort of restructured it to be a little more accessible. And So I'm very happy with it. I was uh, sort of uh, nervous at first, but uh, not at all when I saw the finished product. I'm very happy.
0: You know as environmentalists we're dealing with um, climate deniers, and uh, maybe here where kgU is based because we have so many climate scientists that are real climate scientists, um, it's a little bit less uh, obvious and uh, but you know you can go to a lot of places and find climate deniers, but nevertheless it's it's really um, the evidence is so overwhelming and it's so uh, easy to find good information and yet it's very easy for people to be population deniers
1: uh, oh, exactly. And and there there's a very close tie in between the climate problems we're having, greenhouse gas pollution of the atmosphere and the oceans, and overpopulation. You know, long well, back in the eighties in and Earth First Days that you and I shared, uh, we were aware that there was a mass extinction going on. But we weren't aware of greenhouse gas pollution. But there was still, you know, evidence of this mass extinction. And then we became, became aware of the greenhouse gas pollution. Well, as I see it, the fundamental problem is the explosive growth of human beings on Earth and how we've taken over something like 40%. Of the net primary productivity, which is a measure of all the sunlight falling in a year and being converted through photosynthesis into life, we're taking something like forty-two percent of that now. But I see seven ways that we we hit uh, the rest of the Earth and cause extinction. One is direct killing. The other one is destruction of habitats. The other one is fragmentation of habitats. Then we have the invasion of exotic species brought by worldwide trade. Then we have disruption of natural, uh, ecological, and evolutionary processes like free-flowing rivers, uh, predation, uh, wildfire, those sorts of things. Then we have pollution, and its various disguises, and then we have greenhouse gas pollution. And so all seven of those things come from fundamentally overpopulation and us stretching our impact on the rest of the world, and all seven of those are leading to a mass extinction unlike anything we've seen in 65 million years.
0: Well, I'm not very good with numbers, but I think I was reading somewhere recently as I was researching for this that since 1940, the world population has doubled. And since that time, the numbers of, of, of animals, of plants, of birds, and of, and of species um, has been cut in half.
1: Since well, that, maybe that might it's happened, actually maybe. our population has tripled since then. I'm 68 years old now, born in '46 and world population has tripled in my lifetime. And I wouldn't say that the number of species has been cut in half, but probably by 10% and it's going to increase.
0: This was I think not not just numbers of species it was more numbers of, of animals like you've got Oh some,
1: yeah. Yeah, populations was, yes. have just crashed. A very good example is India. Where a hundred years ago, there were a hundred thousand tigers in India. Now, India is bragging because the population of tigers has increased to something like 2,500. And so in a hundred years, it went from a hundred thousand to 2,500. But if you look at a graph of that and see the population of tigers crashing, you see. The graph as an X with the population of people in India exploding.
0: Right, that's what I was trying to get at. I'm not, like I said, I'm not very good with numbers.
1: <laughs> well, I wasn't that good either until I I wrote the book, and uh, I had to get good with numbers. And it was the numbers that that absolutely blew me away. For example, two thousand years ago, as most people would say it around the time of Christ there were probably 250 million people on earth it took something like 1500 years from AD 0 to AD 1500 to double from 25 250 million to 500 million and then we hit a billion in 1804 and so in just 300 years then we doubled and then we kept growing and growing and growing and so our population now is about seven and a half billion and even and and you know that's just a huge increase there were a billion 200 years ago now there are seven and a half billion
0: Well, I was going to say, to to paraphrase um, one of Boulder's wonderful um, people who's no longer with us, Dr. Al Bartlett, he said the failure to understand exponential growth is at the root of of so many disasters.
1: Oh, well, Al was was one of the most brilliant people on Earth, in my estimation, and uh, taught me so much. And Boulder was very lucky to have him. He showed that, you know, Boulder was crowing about... uh, Three percent uh growth rate every year and showed what that would lead to i mean just the doubling of boulder's population and then the quadrupling and that sort of thing and you have to ask do we really want that in the united states right now we've got something a little less maybe than 320 million people uh by twenty fifty there are going to be over four hundred million people. By twenty one hundred there are going to be six, seven or eight hundred million people. Now I'm not going to be alive for any of that, but people listening to this program may well be alive then. And even the four hundred million as Colorado Governor Dick Lamb a great Democrat, a great liberal, a great conservationist said, why would we want that?
0: Well, that, in order to really make sure that this is people understand this is not about xenophobia, but this is about ecology, could you talk a little bit about what that means ecologically, and then maybe we can get into what the Rewilding Institute does?
1: Exactly. Um, what, what it means is that for a very long time, when we came out of Africa... 50,000 some years ago, and began to spread around the world. There were very few of us, probably less than 10,000 Homo sapiens. At that time, there were more tigers, there were more great blue whales, there were more Neanderthals, (laughs) you know, there were more Homo erectus, there were more chimpanzees uh, than there were homo sapiens. But in that 50,000 years, we have steadily converted the rest of life into more and more and more and more of us. Now we have something like 360,000 human babies born every day. That is more than the total population of all chimpanzees Bonobos, gorillas, and orangutans in the world. And that, to me, is one of the the numbers that really blows me away.
0: Well, we were just talking about a really great um, Dr. Al Bartlett, a person who contributed so much. Somebody else who has also contributed so much and is still contributing is Dr. Paul Ehrlich, and I've actually had him on this show um, in the past. But could you talk about, you have a chapter um, saying, was Paul Ehrlich really wrong, and talk a little bit about why you wrote that and what that's about.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, well, one of the things the... The people who deny a population explosion do, they always point to Paul Ehrlich and say how wrong he was. And there's two parts of that. One, they look at his 1968 book published by the Sierra Club called A Population Explosion, where he laid out various dire scenarios. And people say that those were hard predictions, but they were not. They were scenarios of what could happen if we didn't take action to reverse them. And among the things that Paul called for in the population bomb was something like the Green green Revolution with agriculture, growing more food, using better techniques, and all that. That happened, and it helped slow down. Population growth that helped feed more people. Uh, Besides, in the United States, people listening to the talk about population decided to have fewer children or no children, like my wife and I did in the early 70s. And U.S. population growth came down to replacement values. And so a lot of things happened thanks in part to Paul Ehrlich's population bomb. And so some of the things he laid out as scenarios didn't happen. And we have to remember, in 1968, we were in the middle of the Vietnam War. We were afraid red China was going to invade and that we were going to have a world war in our hands. All kinds of frightening scenarios. And so that explains some of the apocalyptic aspects of the book, the other thing people attacked Paul Ehrlich about was the supposed bet he made with Julian Simon, who is no longer with us, but is still the the demigod of those who think growth is no problem. in fact, growth is good and what Ehrlich and Julian Simon had in this bet was the price of five minerals. Julian Simon said their price would go down. Paul Ehrlich said the price would go up because they would become more scarce with more population. I don't think Paul was really paying attention to other issues. And so people say, okay, Julian Simon won that bet. That shows Paul Ehrlich was wrong. Well, the fact of the matter is three of the minerals cost went down two went up and so it was nearly half and half but overall Simon won the bet and then Simon said I will further predict that within a certain amount of time every index of human well-being will be better than it is now and so Paul Ehrlich says okay here's the bet here are 15 factors I predict will be worse in this time period. And Julian Simon refused that bet. And so the whole criticism of Paul Ehrlich is is based on not really knowing the the issues involved.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, now even the Pope has actually said something, unbelievably enough. It's it's very heartening, I think, about uh, reproduction and overpopulation and um, in not so many words saying people don't have to breed like rabbits, basically.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, when he took the name Francis, that was a good sign. Um, <laughs> because uh, uh, Francis of Assisi was one of the great uh uh, ethical thinkers in Western civilization regarding our obligations to other species. And so I was heartened when he took that name. But uh, in the past, the Catholic Church has been the, one of the biggest problems we have faced in trying to deal with overpopulation or even admitting that there was a population pro- problem. I think the Catholic Church in the 1970s saw people talking about overpopulation as supporters of abortion, and so they decided to undercut support for abortion to deny uh, that overpopulation was a problem.
0: Well, I just thought it was a really huge step forward that the Pope um, said something about, well, population experts say that three is a very good limit.
1: And of well, course- that's good. Uh, it needs to go down uh, at least another one or two, but um, that's that's very good. I mean, it's been shown that if uh, people had just one or two children, that would pretty well lead to a halt in and overpopu- in population increasing. The problem is is that we still face overpopulation. There are too many of us by far right now to, to be able to provide good lives for everybody and to be able to keep the whole range of, of species on, on earth and wild places as well.
0: And so what do you do at the Rewilding Institute?
1: Well, at the Rewilding Institute, we we come out of conservation biology. The idea that uh, we have to look at the biology behind the current mass species extinction and ask, how can we do things better? Particularly, how can we make conservation better, and the key thing there, the one thing in conservation that is the key solution is protected areas, and Colorado is fortunate there with wilderness areas, national parks, and other things, and so conservation biology says we need more protected areas that are roadless, Because roads are a dagger into the heart of wildness, as Michael Soule, the founder of Conservation Biology, who lives in Bayonia, Colorado now, said. And so what we need to do, we need to look at the landscape and see how we can link places up. Because in many ways, wilderness areas and national parks have become isolated islands where the wildlife and one can't move to another. And so conservationists in Colorado have been working for an overpass over Interstate 70 near Vail that would be vegetated and open to wildlife so that the lynx in southwestern Colorado and the San Juan Mountains, where I often go, would be able to move to northern Colorado, and would then be linked up with the links in Yellowstone National Park. And that would also allow other species to cross the barrier that is Interstate 70. And people in Colorado, a number of groups have worked together to put out the Southern Rockies wildlands network design, which shows different ways we could predict uh, wild ways or wildlife movement linkages between the San Juan Mountains, the, the central Colorado complex of wilderness areas around Maroon Bale Snowmass, and on up to Rocky Mountain National Park and the Circles and all of that, over to uh, Dinosaur National Monument and to the Uintas in Utah, and then on up to Yellowstone. And from the San Juans down into New Mexico, eventually to the Gila Wilderness Area, and then into Mexico. And so we're tying the continent together, basically from the Brooks Range in Alaska to the Sierra Madre in Mexico, and allowing wildlife to move back and forth. And this could be done with you know, very little impact on people. Uh, other than the need to control things like off-road vehicles, more road building. It would uh, you know, be things like an overpass over I-70 and all identifying these major barriers. And so that's the main thing we work on. But I realized I can't really talk about rewilding until we talk about overpopulation, and how that is impacting everything.
0: Well, Dave, I want to thank you so much. Our time is just about out, but people can get the book, Man Swarm, How Overpopulation is Killing the World, written by Dave Foreman with Laura Carroll. And you can get it online, and you can contact the Rewilding Institute. What is your website there?
1: Our website is rewilding.org, and not only can people buy Manswarm there, they can buy my other books, such as Rewilding North America and The Great uh, Conservation Divide and other things, as well as read a great deal about rewilding and about overpopulation and other subjects.
0: And also find out when you'll be coming to Colorado, is that right?
1: I will be coming up to Colorado State in Fort Collins to give a couple of, of talks Sometime in April, and I'm darn it.
0: (laughs) That's okay. People can check the website. The
1: thirtieth of April. Okay. The thirtieth of April, I will be in Fort Collins at Colorado State, and I invite everybody to come hear me. I hope you can come, Elena.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you. Take care. Good evening. Bye.